Week number two, you're probably looking at your notes, you can see where we're headed uh, with this week's study. We're going to be talking cosmology and uh, just how it testifies to the necessity of God. That there's really no way to explain what's right in front of our faces every day. Uh, no way to explain it without running into the problem that there needs to be a cause for all of this. So let's open in a word of prayer. And then I'm going to start with a quick story uh, to motivate you towards uh, learning this stuff, actually. So let's pray together. Father, in Christ's name, we come to you, Lord. And we thank you that we're able to um, open our minds, Lord, to what we see out there, what we experience every day, and realize, Lord, that just like when we create something with our hands, we get our fingerprints all over it. Well, this creation has your fingerprints all over it, Lord, and we thank you that when we seek, we find, and we pray that that would be our experience here tonight, Lord, to honor and glorify you who are worthy of all honor and all glory from all of us all the time. And so we, uh, we just present ourselves to you, Lord, uh, to have your way with us, and we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> so just a few hours ago, I received an email from a young lady who graduated from CCA last year. Uh, one of the most uh, phenomenal writers we've ever come across. I know she's got a very, very bright future as, as, uh, as an author uh, for her. And she's telling me <laughs> about all these exciting opportunities that's come her way these last couple weeks. She finished by sharing that in one of her classes, I don't know what the class is, what they're actually going through is the first 12 chapters of Genesis, where her professor, <coughs> excuse me, is a former seminary student turned atheist. And so he's actually bothering to take however many students he has and destroy Genesis for them. So uh, I just had a talk with my students today about, because uh, we had a Christian college fair yesterday, and I told them they should go to that Christian college fair because we're, in my 27 years of teaching, I would encourage kids to go to public universities and be a light there. Now I'm saying, don't stop getting fed because the world is now, our country is attacking Christianity. They want you to fail, but there's no longer an indifference out there. They are going after you um, and our children. They're starting very young to go after them. So never stop feeding yourselves, which is why I'm glad you're here tonight. Um, so, so that's what's happening, and it's not out of the question, because she sent me his notes on the 12 chapters of Genesis, and I wrote back to her, saying if he would like a guest speaker and, and him and I talk back and forth on this, uh, I would be happy to drive up to Gainesville and do that. Or if he would like to come and talk to you guys about his views, we could do that side by side in my classroom. Um, so hopefully, maybe she'll be somebody who says, hey, he's up for that. So we'll see how that goes. So if I'm not here next Wednesday, you know where I probably am. So, um, but see, it's not just a matter of, oh, well, that's his ideas, it's his classroom, he's teaching that. What we have to remember is the Apostle Paul says to the Galatian church, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. The word there is anathema, which means eternally damned. It says the, the, the just price for perverting the gospel of Jesus Christ is eternal damnation. And that's what this guy is doing. He's intentionally, uh, I'm sure it's not a class on Genesis, whatever his topic is, he's introducing the Bible in a way where he's perverting the gospel of Christ. And <clears throat> this student of ours, I'm very happy to say, is able to, as she called his insights on Genesis, elementary for such a smart guy. She said they're pretty elementary insights. Um, not everybody knows what she knows, though. And so it can really, really sink them. So hopefully we're equip, equipping through this series a couple hundred of you to actually be able to have the conversations that need to be had to prove what we need to prove to show them that uh, there is no other gospel than the gospel of Christ. Amen? Okay. So as we turn to our slides now, uh, we can see that we're talking about cosmology. Okay, we're going to talk about outer space a lot. And the way I'm going to present it this, this PowerPoint presentation actually came from a guy who um, worked for Reasons for Hope, and he came to Calvary Christian Academy one Saturday because me and a science teacher there named Mrs. Quinn, a couple years ago, we decided to use some Saturdays to invite public school science teachers in, and we would meet with them, and we would actually teach them the science that's being taught in high schools through a biblical worldview. And we'd see if we could explain to them the biblical worldview behind the science that's taught and see if they could maybe bring that into their public school classroom. And so one of the guest speakers we brought in one day uh, was a guy named Juan Valdez. Not the coffee guy. This is a different guy. Okay. And he, um, he's an apologist who travels uh, the United States and South America. Um, and this is largely his presentation. And when I saw it, I said, can I have that? And he said, Yeah. And, but but here's, um, here's what he actually said. He, said. he said, as I go to different universities to present this, he said, I've come across Calvary Christian Academy graduates who I find defend their faith far better than any other high school students I've ever seen come, come into the universities. He says, Calvary Christian Academy, this school here, is preparing kids to defend their faith like none other. And Mrs. Quinn actually stood up and said, what, our apologetics teacher is sitting right over here. And I like started to get up, and then he just went, oh, hey. And so I sat back down. I was like, hey, okay. So um, this is his presentation. So if you don't like it, it's not my fault. Um, but the way he presents it is this, and I really liked it. He, he uh, presents it with this Titanic ship, the Titanic, and what he's doing is he's saying the Titanic actually hit an iceberg and sank, correct? So he's going to present like Darwinism, evolution, all those ideas as the Titanic and the iceberg is going to be truth. And when these Darwinian ideas hit the iceberg of truth, it sinks, right? Now, how many of you actually saw the movie Titanic? Yeah, quite a few. It's amazing when I say that 17-year-olds are like, what movie Titanic? You know? So... Now, no, it's a very long movie. It's a very long movie. I mean, I know I went to see the ship sink. And I had to wait for this whole romance to play out. Them chasing each other around the boat for three hours. 
before the thing finally sunk, right? So, so what we have here now is the man's version of Titanic. Um, and you can see it's been edited a bit for the men. It's not quite three hours long. Uh, so here it is. Did, were you able to hear that? You didn't hear anything? Do I have some audio people back there? Anyway, he said, this ship can't sink. And then it showed the ship sinking. And then that's the movie. Okay, so you came there to see. It's all over, right? Okay. So man's version of Titanic. Now we have other videos coming up if we can make sure we get the audio going there on it. All right. So... There's the Titanic. Here's the iceberg of truth that the Titanic, as we know, hits and sinks. And as I go now to slide six, here's what we're going to do with this Titanic presentation. So we're going to present these what we call four game-changing truths. Okay, four game-changing truths. The first truth we're going to cover is that the universe had a beginning and a personal cause. So let's say something about that for a moment. I know for many years of my Christian life, I thought the Big Bang was a theory that was in opposition to creationism. As it turns out, it's actually a very good friend of ours. Now, the Big Bang, we know, happened because we actually have the radiation from the Big Bang floating around the universe. We found it. We see it. Okay? And what I'm going to show you over the next two weeks is how the Big Bang upset the secular cosmologists of the early 20th century because they knew the implications of discovering that the universe had a beginning. If the universe had a beginning, they know that it's necessary that it needs a cause for that. And they know that everything came into existence at the Big Bang. Meaning, before the Big Bang, there was absolutely nothing in existence. So they knew we went from nothing to something, and they know that implies there has to be something that exists outside of this universe that has the power to act on the universe to create it. So they knew the implications were very religious in nature. And I'm going to show you quotes from those early astronomers and how upset they were at this. Because when God speaks to Moses about how he created the heavens and the earth, He's not going to do the E equals MC squared with them and have them write that down, is he? He's going to say, I said, let there be light, and there was. And it turns out the physics supports that, you see. Okay? So, do not be worried about this idea of Big Bang. You're going to see that it actually points us to Genesis 1. Another unit we'll cover is there's, there's evidence of intelligent design. Now, this isn't to say intelligent design over and above creationism. It's simply an argument to say there has to be intelligence behind what we see today. Randomness and mindlessness could not possibly account for the world that we're in here today. Then we're going to cover evidence of global architecture, that this world that we are living upon was clearly made expecting it to be inhabited. Okay, one thing that always blew my mind in thinking about the Big Bang was this, that as the entire universe is created through this Big Bang, and we know the earth 
is like such a tiny speck of dust in that universe, how come everything that makes for tomatoes and carrots and peas and fish and frogs and people all went to the same planet and none of it went anywhere else? And that the apples and carrots and stuff that landed on this planet happened to have a vitamin content, content necessary for us. And we don't have time to evolve teeth and digestive systems. We're going to need that nourishment instantly. And we need to be fully developed in everything that it takes to actually bite into food, chew it up, swallow it, digest it. Somehow we're going to have to know the nutrients to pull out to run through our bloodstream and get rid of the waste of the rest. There's no time for that to develop over millions of years. You will die instantly if you don't have it all together at once. So that always blew my mind. How come everything that makes for life is here and then we go to the next closest planet and they got none of it? You see, in the midst of an explosion, there's no way that it all go to just one place and not to any of the others. Do you agree? So how did it all just get here? Well, I'm going to share a verse with you a little prematurely. It's supposed to be a few slides from now. From Isaiah 45, it says this, God made the earth to be inhabited. Isn't that interesting? He made this planet for habitation. And I don't care if you look underwater or in the air or on the land, you will see endless life everywhere on this planet. And you'll see none of it anywhere else. Okay? And Isaiah 45 says he created the earth to be inhabited. So we'll see evidence of global architecture and we will see evidence of biological engineering. Okay? We are so massively complex that to attribute that to chance you must think you can actually go to Vegas and come out rich, all right? No, because there have been people that have done that, where this is way beyond those odds. All right, now, let's start with the first truth. You see the iceberg of truth there? The truth is the universe had a beginning, and that beginning had a personal cause. What's the titanic lie that people believe? That the universe is eternal, or came out of nothing by itself. So let's take a look at these different views. So now, when we talk about the universe, it either had a beginning or it didn't. Okay, slide eight is one of mine. It either had a beginning or it didn't have a beginning. Everybody has to agree with that. There's only two options we got, right? So let's look at the implications. If there was no beginning, that's what we call the steady state theory. That believed that the universe is eternal. It always existed. Therefore, it doesn't need a cause for it. Therefore, we don't have to have conversations about God. The universe is self-existent and has no need for something to cause it uh, if it had no beginning. But if it had a beginning, then we're getting into the science of Edwin Hubble, Albert Einstein, all of modern cosmology, even Stephen Hawkins. Okay? They all have agreed that the science shows that this universe had a beginning point. So the Big Bang, okay? God said it and bang, it happened. Now... <clears throat> Slide 10, the beginning. Now that we establish that there's a beginning, there has to be a beginning. Why? Because now, <coughs> now that we've dis discovered the Big Bang, we're going to talk about Albert Einstein in a minute and his theory of general relativity that kind of led us to this idea. And then we're going to talk about the ideas that once we understood there was a beginning, other scientists will come along and say, well, then if there was a beginning from an explosion, then the universe must be expanding. And guess what we discover after that? The universe is expanding. Guess what we read in our Bible? God stretches out the heavens like a curtain. How do you stretch out a curtain? You expand it from a point of singularity outward. It's amazing that in the 8th century before Christ, we're getting the expansion of the universe told to us by a prophet. 
He must have had tremendous satellite technology, right? Or inspiration. You figure out which one's more likely. All right, so it's either not caused or it's caused. If it's not caused, then it had to come into existence through spontaneous generation. What's spontaneous generation? It's something coming out of nothing. What do we know today in reality that came from absolutely nothing for no reason? Nothing. Okay? So here's a little tip for you. If, like, say you're driving home tonight and you hit a tree, and a cop comes by, and he says, what happened? And you say, sir, do you believe in God? If he says no, then you can say this. That tree came out of nowhere, and he have to believe it. Because he believes everything came out of nowhere. Okay? So it came out of absolutely nowhere for absolutely no reason at all. It's totally not my fault. And he'd have to say, I hate when that happens. That's very unfortunate for you. Okay? So we know that something cannot come out of nothing. So here's a Latin term that you can use at parties for people to impress them. You ready? It's ex nihilo nihil fit. I think I have the spelling it in one of your slides. Ex nihilo means out of nothing. Nihil fit means nothing comes. So if you ever have nothing, you will always have nothing. It's impossible to bring something out of nothing. <clears throat> so if the universe began, what existed before that beginning? Right, nothing. Nothing at all, correct? Now, how do you get something out of nothing? Can't be done you're going to need a cause for that something, okay? Something outside the universe that's not dependent on the universe. All right, now, if the universe is caused, now it fits our laws of physics, like the law of causality. The law of causality states this. Now, this law of causality is essential to all of science. In fact, when I tell you the definition of this law, I suggest that you write it down because it's going to be fundamental for proving lots and lots of things. So the law of causality states that every effect has a cause. That's part one of it. Every effect has a cause. The universe is an effect. We know that now. We know that it came into existence at some point. Something caused it, so therefore it's an effect. So because it's an effect, it has to have a cause. The second part of that law says this. The effect has to be greater, I'm sorry, the effect cannot be greater than the cause. Okay, the effect cannot be greater than the cause. The cause has to be greater than the effect. So the universe is an effect because it had a beginning. So the cause of it has to be greater than the universe. So what came into existence at the beginning of the universe? Time. So now we need a cause of the universe that's not subjected to time. He must be timeless, outside of time. Space came into existence at the, at the beginning of the universe. So now we need a cause for that that's not restricted by space or dependent upon space at all. We need something omnipresent everywhere at all times. Matter came into existence at the beginning of the universe. So we need something not dependent on or made of matter. The Bible says God is spirit, correct? God checks off all the necessary boxes to fit the physics behind the creation of the universe. He has to be outside of time, space, and matter. So now that we see that it's more scientific and logical that the universe had a cause, now the question is, was that cause personal or not personal? 
Is it just some physics mechanism that created the universe? Or is it a personal cause? Well, if it's not personal, then we shouldn't see any order in the universe because what would do the ordering? What kind of mindless mechanism could create all the order? Now, when I say all the order, do you realize the magnificent amount of order that's in our universe? Like, we know when the sun will set, like, years from now, at the very minute when it'll set, right? It's that orderly, okay? We set our clocks by it, don't we? We know we set our clocks by 24-hour days because we know that's the Earth's going to take a spin. We know the moon will be a month and the sun will be a year, okay? So we, we set our clocks by the order of the universe. They can tell us where stars will be exactly 100 years from now and where they were 100 years ago because it's completely and totally orderly. So a non-personal cause, we never see non-personal causes creating order. What we see non-personal causes doing is creating chaos. But we have tremendous order in our universe. We should see no intelligence. How do you get intelligence out of a non-intelligent source? Okay? Rocks do not create computers, correct? Only intelligence can create intelligence. We have intelligence in this universe. So how did we get intelligence from a non-personal cause? <coughs> it's not believable. There's no... There's, there's no reason to promote ethics if there's no personal cause to the universe because who gets to make the rules so if i say why can't i steal your car you'll say you'll call the cops i'll say then i'll say to the cop who are you to tell me i can't do it he'll say well i have the authority of the state well who's this person in the state that came out of a womb naked bloody and screaming just like i did why does he make the rules for my life who in the world has the authority to tell me how to live. Well, we just agreed that that's how society runs best. I wasn't at that meeting. I didn't agree to that, okay? There's no grounds for ethical or moral behavior if there's no personal cause to the universe that sets those moral standards. Understood? Good, okay. So, if there is a personal cause to the universe, we should see order, we absolutely do. We, we should see intelligence in the universe. We absolutely do. We should see morality in the universe. We absolutely do. Therefore, there must be purposeful design. Purposeful design to this universe. That there's intention behind it. Okay? So the evidence would certainly point towards a personal cause. So slide 11 shows you this. There is certainly a universe. Nobody's arguing against that. Now that we know there's a universe, it either had a beginning or it didn't, the science points us to it did have a beginning. Now that we know it had a beginning, it's either a caused beginning or there's no cause for the beginning. We know through the law of causality there had to be a cause. So now that we know there's a cause for the beginning of the universe, that cause is either personal or not personal, and all observation and all understanding of reality would tell us that cause has to be personal. Good? Okay. So the iceberg of truth is that the universe had a beginning and it had a personal cause. So now what I'd like to do before we move to the intelligent design argument, is there any questions in-house uh, on what we just covered? Yes, sir. Yes. 
Yes. Um, well, well, Calvary Chapel and most churches teach a literal six-day creation. I'm not as grounded in that as far as um, I'm open to other understandings of it. But um, what, what does... Uh, so when the Big Bang happens and the order that comes from that, we know that energy was the very first thing to come to the Big Bang. That's what cosmologists tell us. And so what does that energy look like? The light that God creates, which both of those come first scientifically. So when that chapter of creation is done, God can now define that as a day and move on to the next. So like I said, God is not saying to Moses, e equals MC squared and giving them all the math and the physics behind it all. He's simply putting into terms that is needed to understand the creator and that is sufficient to understand the creator. It takes the Albert Einsteins of the world to come along afterward and go, I see it mathematically now type of thing. So the Bible says you have everything you need in the Bible for life and for godliness. It doesn't claim to go beyond that scope. So we have, we have what we need for life in the Bible and for godliness in the Bible. And that's where our, God's expectations of us are. I've given you life, I expect godliness. And then the Bible says this. Um, it's, it's the glory of a king to conceal a matter. It's the glory of princes to pursue it. So it's saying God does conceal matters for his glory, and it's, the, it's to our glory that we pursue those, and that's the discoveries that we're finding, okay, type of thing. All right, so the universe. The universe. Uh, slide 15, I'm on eternal or beginning. Eternal or beginning. So slide 17, what should be considered about the purpose of the universe? So now... If the universe was made intentionally and purposefully, that means there's a purpose for us being here in that universe, okay? If it were made accidentally or just randomly, then we can't claim any purpose for it. It's just a result of an accident. So purpose has a lot to do with do we have a personal cause for the universe or not? So if the universe were made randomly, then we were not intended by the universe. There was no intention for us to be here. But if, it were not, if we were not intended by the universe, then we can't claim a purpose. We can create our own purposes, but those are artificial purposes that we're creating for ourselves. There's no ultimate purpose to pursue. So slide 19. Either God or the universe must be eternal. There has to be something that's eternal or existence would not be possible based on ex nihilo nihil fit. Out of nothing, nothing comes. So something has to be, has to have always existed. Otherwise, it's impossible for anything to be here now. So I think I shared this last week. But if a minute from now, the universe just blinked off to total and complete non-existence, scientifically, it's necessary that it would, there would always be nothing after that. Because there's no mechanism known to man that could ever kickstart something again once you achieve nothingness. As soon as you achieve nothingness, scientifically, it's necessary that there's always nothingness, okay? The fact that we don't have nothingness when we once had nothingness before the universe says something must be eternal out there. Something must exist outside the universe that's always existed. So here, I'm gonna show you a video of a gentleman named Kent Hovind. Kent Hovind, is uh, an apologist from many decades ago, and now his son Eric Hovind is kind of taken up his mantle, 
and um, doing his, 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 the work his dad has begun. Eric Ovind actually visited CCA several years ago and did a chapel for us. And um, Eric Ovind's a fascinating character because when the atheists created a monument to atheism that was in, it's in Washington, D.C. now, when they were dedicating that monument to atheism in Washington, D.C., Eric Ovine went to that event. And after they got done dedicating the monument, Eric Ovine jumped up on top of that monument and started thanking all the atheists for their theories of tolerance and all, everything's acceptable and everything's to be tolerated. And he's thanking them for, for, their, for, for this idea of tolerance. That, and so he said, and based on that view, I'd like to just say this. Jesus Christ came to die for sinners, of which we're all sinners, and you need to give your life to Jesus Christ for eternal life, and they start booing him. And he said, your theory of tolerance didn't last five minutes. You just dedicated the monument to tolerance, and you became intolerant with the very first speech that came from this place. And that you could hear people in the background shouting, send out the lions, and all this stuff to him, okay? So... I think he still has it on YouTube. If you look up Eric Kovind on YouTube, I've shown that many times over the years. So this is his dad doing a debate in a high school gymnasium. And so when you say that something has to be eternal, the question that seems to always come up is, well, if the universe requires that somebody made the universe, then who made God? Okay, which kind of ignores the fact that we're saying something or someone has to be eternal. But uh, Kent Hovind answers that question well here. We have any audio? That you're thinking of the wrong, uh, obviously it displays, that you're thinking of the wrong God. <laughs> because the God of the Bible is not affected by time, space, or matter. If he's, if he's affected by time, space, or matter, he's not God. Time, space, and matter is what we call a continuum. All of them have to come into existence at the same instant. Because if there were matter but no space, where would you put it? If there were matter and space but no time, when would you put it? You cannot have time, space, or matter independently. They have to come into existence simultaneously. The Bible answers that in ten words. In the beginning, there's time. God created the heaven, there's space, and the earth, there's matter. So you have time, space, matter created, a trinity of trinities there. Just, you know, time is past, present, future. Space has length, width, height. Mat All right. Is that the end of the video? Huh, I thought there was more to it. Okay, so the longer version of that video, he goes on to say that just like your computer, there's not little men running around the computer responding to your keystrokes all the time. There was a programmer for that, correct? And the evidence of the programmer is the intelligence within it, correct? So that intelligence within the computer is evidence of a, of a mind that acted upon it. We would never expect the computer to perform for us the way that it does without it being designed by intelligence. And the universe is far more complex. Our bodies are far more complex than any computer. So if we demand intelligence for a computer, we must demand an intelligence source for everything else. So if this afternoon you looked up into the sky and you saw the words drink Coke written in the sky, you would sound a little silly if you said, hey, honey, look at the weird cloud formation up there. You would know that a skywriter wrote that, correct? Because the words drink Coke is far too complex a bit of information to come by randomness. 
You would not believe it for a minute. If you're flying to Hawaii, and as your plane is going to land on an island, you see a rock formation. It says, welcome to Hawaii. You wouldn't say, honey, look what the wind and the rain and the erosion created over time. You would know that those words require intelligence. It's too complex to come from randomness. Well, those are some of the simplest bits of information that I could give you. Everything else is massively more complex than that. So to state that welcome to Hawaii or drink Coke demands intelligence for that level of complexity, then to say that human life came from random chance is a little silly. Okay. So Albert Einstein, Albert Einstein, he's the one that generated the thoughts and the science behind there's a beginning to this universe. And some of his famous quotes are, he would say, science without religion is lame, religion without science is blind. Okay? And I have another quote from him I'll get to in just a second. Uh, Arthur Eddington, British cosmologist, uh, atheist, when he realized that the universe had a beginning, he said, philosophically, the notion of a beginning to the present order of nature is repugnant to me. I should like to find a genuine loophole. You see, one of the things that we're going to cover is the fact that it's hard to separate science and religion. They're stepping on each other's toes constantly. And people, scientists get emotional about the results that they discover. And it's not a scientist's job to be emotional about their discovery. It's their job simply to, to find the truth, find what the science is showing. So when they display emotion about their discovery, it's showing that they entered into that experiment with a bias that they wanted to confirm. And if it's not confirmed, it becomes emotional. That's what Arthur Eddington is showing. It's repugnant to me. Why? Because a beginner, beginning needs a beginner. Beginnings don't begin without causes for them. And this is crystal clear to Einstein and to Eddington. Alexander Friedman now, now Albert Einstein, when he came up with the general theory of relativity, he actually fudged the numbers to not allow for a be, uh, the need for a beginning because Albert Einstein was agnostic. He was an agnostic and didn't want to acknowledge that the science shows the need for God. So he fudged the numbers and Alexander Friedman caught him on that and called it Einstein's fudge factor with Einstein later said was the biggest regret of his career that he did that. And so Einstein actually um, gave another quote. Let me see where it is real quick. Uh, I think it's coming up. I'll get it to you in a moment. Um, okay, so on slide 24, William de Sitter is a Dutch astronomer who, based on Einstein's theory of general relativity, he said, if that's true about the beginning of the universe, then our universe must be expanding, it must be an expanding universe. Edwin Hubble supported that when his telescopes discovered red shift in all of the galaxies. There's this red shift. The color red appears when you're looking at outer space, at galaxies or stars, if that item that you're looking at is moving away from you. And he discovered this red shift in all the galaxies and knew that that meant that the, that the universe is expanding. Well, in Isaiah 40, verse 22, Isaiah wrote eight centuries before Christ, which means 28 centuries before Einstein and Hubble and De Sitter. He wrote, uh, Isaiah wrote, 
It is he, God, who sits above the circle of the earth and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, says, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain that I mentioned before and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. So we had this statement from the 8th century BC that God is spreading out the heavens like a curtain that obviously based on technology of the day, he has no way of knowing except through inspiration. Okay? And this is what um, William de Sitter discovered in the early 20th century. Slide 24, Edwin Hubble, as you know from Hubble's telescope. In 1927, he observed empirically that the universe was expanding through seeing redshift in every observable galaxy, which was confirming de Sitter's conclusions. And here's the Isaiah 40, 22 verse. Um, I don't know if it says 22 there, if I wrote the wrong verse down. Does it say 40, 22 on that? Okay, good. Yeah, thank you very much. Okay. All right, so there's the verse that talks about God stretching it out uh, like a curtain. And then Albert Einstein, uh, the verse I promised you here, uh, after he realized that the universe is, needs a cause and that the best description to fit that cause is the very revelation the Bible gives us of God, he says, I want to know how God created the world. I'm not interested in this or that phenomenon and the spectrum of this or that element. I want to know his thought. The rest are details. Okay, I want to know his thought. The rest are details. All right, now, in 1929, Einstein went to the Mount Wilson Observatory to look at the evidence for himself. So Edwin Hubble, when he discovered the redshift in all the galaxies, and he said, just like the sitter said, the universe must be expanding. This redshift is saying these objects we're looking at are moving away from us. So Einstein was invited in 1929 to Mount Wilson to observe that for himself through Hubble's telescope. And he became convinced of the evidence. And that's when he gave this incredible quote that he wants to know how God created the world. He wants to know his thoughts. The rest are details. It's really kind of wonderful. All right. So... Next week, I don't think you have these slides, so I'm going to actually stop there. Next week, we're going, I'm going to present to you what's called the cosmological argument. So when we talk about these various arguments that I'm going to present, the idea behind the argument is that you give these premises. I'm going to give you like two premises. And if those premises are true, then the conclusion that's stated would naturally follow. Okay, so the deal is you've got to prove the two premises. If you can prove the prove the two premises, then the conclusion will follow, okay? And we're going to show how the, that argument and what's called the cosmological argument. And from that, I'm going to give you five lines of science, five lines of science that demand a creator, okay? So it's not going to be in the Bible or anything like that. This is going to be straight out of uh, cosmologists, astronomers' uh, books. And then we're going to hear quotes from these astronomers about how um, like one of them, one of my favorites says, with this discovery of the Big Bang, he says, if you're a fan of Genesis, this is like Christmas morning to you. Okay? So uh, we'll cover that next week with the Cosmos. It's too long to do uh, starting at uh, 747 uh, tonight. So we'll start the Q&A a little early and, um, and uh, pick up on the second part of cosmology next week. Yes, so let's pray, and then we'll bring up Mike uh, for Q&A.
Father, in Christ's name, we uh, thank you for uh, this, this, this um, information. Lord, we're grateful to you for what you have created. We're grateful for you that you told us what you have told us about this. And Lord, as uh, you tell us that when we're confused and when we're in doubt, he says, you tell us to go outside and look up at the heavens and ask ourselves, who made these things? And Lord, as we consider the stars, the universe, you tell us that they're declaring your glory, that night by night they're issuing forth speech to us, Lord. And so we want to hear what you're saying through that, that they're declaring your glory, Lord. That's why we feel so small and everything out there is so big. So, Lord, we pray that through your word and through the science, Lord, that we would celebrate you in really new and special ways. So thank you, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.